Uh, hey everybody, this is uh, welcome to t- hey, hey hey everybody, welcome to ten thousand minute uh, Shaka Khan. Hey everybody, welcome to the ten thousand mm-hmm. minute experiment. Uh, my name is Timothy Howard Timmons, and Woo. to my left is Chris Cleveland. Hey guys, and Amoy Donis to my right. Hello. And in front of us on the it's its new platform, you guys. <laughs> I heard Not about sponsored, this. Yeah, but hopefully. No, 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 no. It's a new platform that we're using, and it's powerful, you guys. It's it's called Zoom. Yeah, it's got a chat in it. No one uses it. We've got CZ in front of us. What's up, CZ? <laughs> <laughs> Give us a little rundown on your name because, I, you know, I was one of the, my first questions I ever asked you was talk about your name. And Chris said, is that his real name? So just give us a little bit. Give us a little bit of your of your life. Yeah, there's not much to it. So my name is Curtis Zachary. <laughs> but ever since I was a little kid, friends and family have called me CZ. My dad's name was Curtis as well. So one of the, I guess, funny tidbits about my name is uh, before I was born, my dad was pretty adamant that he didn't want me to be named Curtis. I don't know if it was right. he didn't want associations maybe with his reputation in our city or whatever, but my right. mom really wanted me to be named Curtis. And so his big thing was I can't be junior. So I can't be Curtis Jr. Yeah. So on my birth certificate, I'm Curtis Zachary the second. So I don't know what the difference is, but he was really pushing for that. <laughs> so there you go. Well, what's so great is your mom and dad and wife have all actually emailed us. And we've had a lot of conversations, and we're going to bring oh them in God. in a second. And we're just going to talk amazing. about daddy issues. That's a wonderful. <laughs> I didn't look at the door this that's time. Amazing. Yeah. That's I love it. I love it. I'm so all this is going to be a great episode. You didn't know, but you know what? Surprise. <laughs> so you guys, welcome. Come on in. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back, friends. Thank you again for listening to another 10,000-minute experiment podcast. Uh, I just want to stop and say thank you to Brian H., to Jennifer C. and to Chris K. for jumping in financially. And we don't have a Patreon page, but we are actually funded by you. So uh, we would love it if you guys would want to jump in with these friends. So thank you guys. It means so much. So truly, truly honored. So if you guys want to learn more about 10,000 Minutes, please go to 10,000minutes.com. And there's a bunch of ways to donate there. You can check out different resources there. You can sign up for the free encouraging text messages that we send out every single week. Today we've got Curtis Zachary, or CZ as we call him. And he's just a really great guy that has a lot of wisdom and a lot of great invitations for us as far as rest is concerned. Okay, here we go. Okay, so you you live in the Franklin, Tennessee, which we're all we all live in the Franklin, Tennessee. I love the Franklin, and, Tennessee, but sure, yeah, I'll go with that. Well, <laughs> I'm I'm from the California, and so everything we do, we put the in front of everything. The you know the 65, the 405. Mm, that's fair. So I get that. Yeah, I got you. Oh, that's fair. Uh, where are you where are you originally from? So I grew up in New Jersey. Was there until I graduated high school, and then went to college in Virginia. And then bounced from there to Nashville in 2001. I lived here for 10 years, uh, met my wife here, and then we moved to California. We lived there for four years and then moved back to Franklin seven years ago. Dizzy. All about it. Let's go. <laughs> I'm dizzy. So you should know the the... The, the podcast, The California. <laughs> so we have many a mutual friends, and I'm so sad and embarrassed. So I was literally just talking to somebody the other day that was just saying how you've kind of been such a huge mentor in their lives. I will remember by the end of this podcast, I'll just blout it. Blout? Blout. It's a cool new name. That's <laughs> I awesome. like it. <laughs> we just don't have a lot blurt, of time. Blurt so out. We're, at, we're just yeah. like, we're just I, shaking up words. 
I will blurt out the name at some point. But people just love you. Mm. And you've put your thumbprint on so many people, and I'm sure they've, you know, shaped you as well. But you have such a great name in this town. And I, you know, I know you've taught a lot of different places and you've taught for our community at Journey Church mm -hmm. before, and they loved you. But um, so I just want to get into some of the stuff that you know. Because it sounds like the stuff that you're leaning into right now is stuff that I don't think I need, but I feel like these two <laughs> next to me really, really need. Yeah. That's fair. I, I got you. <laughs> so, CZ, give us just a little bit of, like, background on where you got to, how, how you got to where you are now. So, you, you've got this whole thing called Find Rest that you're doing. Yeah. And you've got a book out called Finding Soul Rest, 40-Day Devotional. So, just give us a little background on, like, what was the problem that got you to this place? go again this is for the two people tomorrow that's right yeah so i think the real crux of it all was when we moved to california we were living and serving in a very under-resourced area it was a city called richmond just outside of san francisco and the type of work and relationships that we were a part of was so beautiful and so meaningful but the one thing that I started to recognize very quickly was there wasn't a sense of resolve when it came to what ministry and life situations look like on a daily basis, where having lived in Franklin for a while and, and done ministry things, so much of it was connective to what I could do according to my gift set, you know, just my abilities, mm -hmm. my force of will to bring my full self to whatever it was that I was doing. And there in California, there were so many situations like homeless friends who we were trying to help find a place to live, people who were walking through recovery and addiction and, you know, would relapse and things like that. A lot of marital issues with very complex relational dynamics and people transitioning from prison into civilian life and all that comes with that. And so I just started recognizing that as much as I loved what we were doing, I just wasn't really sure I'd be able to sustain it for very long in the way that I was living at the current time. And then I think second during that season, my wife and I were hopeful to become pregnant and have children. And we did have a pregnancy, but then we very quickly into the pregnancy lost that pregnancy. And it was, it was really sad. And then about six months later, we became pregnant again. We carried further into the pregnancy. And then at about two in the morning, we had to go to the emergency room only to lose another pregnancy. So I think it was the first part of that story where my identity interwoven with what I did, what did it look like to sustain in a healthy way, coupled with the questions and the grief that came with experiencing loss. I think the third piece was we kind of felt like we were on an island. Uh, we had friends around us, but in the moments where I would start to find a little window where I could share in vulnerability, I would have people reflect back to me, well, you're the guy we would normally come to when we're going right. to right. go through hard things. So, right. so all that together, I think, just culminated in me saying, I don't really know what's next, but something needs to change. And I need to figure out what it means to love Jesus apart from what I do. And there was a quote that I read by a guy named Soren Kierkegaard, and he said, it is absolutely unethical when one becomes so busy communicating that he forgets to be what he teaches. And I think that's what yeah. ultimately summarizes that season for me. So that's that's kind of what got me in to the conversation. And then from there, uh, God began to do his work. Yeah. Hmm. So how do you deal with that now? Are there practices that you're putting in to help you move 
towards Jesus again to actually owning what you're preaching? Yeah. Teaching? Yeah, yeah. I would I would say one of the things that I realized when I stepped into that season of consideration is really what I would call it. I felt like God asked me a question and it was very formative for the journey ahead. And it basically was, if I took away all the things that you got to do for me, would you love and worship me with the same passion? And I think very quickly and sadly, I knew my answer was no. Mm -hmm. The distinction was he didn't ask, do you love me? Because that would have been an immediate yes. But essentially what he was getting at is, am I enough for you, just you and I, apart from any function, apart from any duty, apart from any responsibility? And I started to realize that it wasn't about what people saw in me. It wasn't a perception that I held value in. It was just my belief that my true worth and value to God was completely interwoven with what I did. And that was... Uh, something that felt like a stranglehold on my life. That's the part that was not sustainable. It was basically the realization that God had intended for me to find contentment and this, this soulish rest in him alone. And unknowingly, I had begun to live in a way that I had uh, allowed other things to become my solace, to be my identity, my strength, even when it came to God type stuff. It was not him alone. It was the stuff around him. And that's uh, very convicting and very sobering. But I also knew at that time that was not what I wanted my life to be. I wasn't content to stay in that place. So uh, to answer your question, I think that allowed me to move forward with intention to say, all right, what does it mean for me to know that he is enough for me alone? And it caused me to begin to really dig into the intention God had for humanity from the very beginning, which was to find this soulish contentment. You know, I think about Ecclesiastes chapter three, where it says God set eternity in the hearts of humankind uh, so that they wouldn't know the beginning or the end. And I think so often I find myself tempted to try to satisfy this eternal soulish longing for God alone with things that are not God. (laughs) And maybe on the surface might have God type names attached to them, but that's not enough. And so like examples. Yeah. Examples would be ministry. (laughs) I think working for God is one of the greatest barriers to intimacy with God. And uh, I think it's important for us to know that it's possible to work for God without God. I remember uh, another quote that comes to mind is uh, Mother Teresa once said, uh, pray for me that I not loosen my grip on the hand of Jesus, even under the guise of ministering to the poor. So she was basically saying, pray I don't do a bunch of Jesus stuff without Jesus. Ooh, do Jesus stuff without Jesus. I feel like I've done that most of my life. And if you've been listening to these or if you know me at all, you know that I'm always talking about the moment about 12 years ago when I stopped working for Jesus and I just said, I'm just going to start walking with you. And it's one of the reasons why I write this X on my wrist every single morning, one that I woke up again today. One of the other ones is just to join Jesus in what he's already doing. But every day I just seem to forget and I keep doing Jesus stuff without Jesus. And in this world and in all the ways that we think we're trying to do stuff for him and really hold good boundaries and good lines for God, I'm just curious if we're doing more stuff for him or if we're doing it with him. So this week, as we're going to practice resting with Jesus, 
Let's just start out by just being more aware of the times we're doing things for him, we're doing things with him. If you need rest like I do, get ready because there's some pretty great stuff ahead. Whether it's more noble, godly, working kind of things that can become that fulfillment, or it can be things like medicating and vegging out and trying to find ways to distract myself from, you know, the tensions and the realities that come from what life presents and that only God can fulfill and restore. So, yeah, I think it, it set me on a journey that there was about a year long process that I took, which was essentially a sabbatical that reformed and reshaped what intentional life would look like so that now life doesn't reach that place where I'm, I'm out of rhythm and, and out of sorts. So as we talk about this, this is like a ministry conversation in a sense, and I'm putting that in quotes like sure. uh, Christian people in Christian work. You have things to say and to invite them into. So if whoever's listening, if you have people that are in ministry, and I'm putting that in quotes, this would be really helpful for them. And the majority of people that are listening to this are not people in quote-unquote ministry. I think we all are because I think, you know, obviously I think that you'd say the same exact thing, that none of us are actually working for Jesus. We're walking with him, and all of us are ministers, if you will. We all get to love people well and represent Jesus. But how would you kind of put this into that platform into their lives. Yeah. So I, yeah, I would definitely say I'm telling my story because that's what is true about my journey. My vocation was that of a minister. It was somebody who was connected as a vocation to the church. So it definitely has brought from my heart uh, a very focused and passionate care for other people who are in a similar plight. So I definitely love to encourage and come alongside those who are in ministry. But all of that being said, as I'm telling my story, you can basically fill in the blank with whatever your thing is. (laughs) And I think there is no distinction amongst all of us around the importance of who we are or what we do based upon the titles of our jobs and things like that. So all of these principles really hold true because I think a lot of us would say, aside from any fancy church talk or whatever, it's possible to arrive at a place where we realize that our identity, our worth and value are found more in what we do than who we are and who we understand ourselves to be relative to God. And I would even say that that conversation is important connective to people who might not even necessarily follow the way of Jesus. You know, you get to a point where you understand that there is a longing for deeper meaning and purpose in life. And the way that we're living moving forward doesn't feel sustainable any longer. And so I would just say, you know, these things hold true there. But yeah, I think the verse in Matthew 11, that's very familiar to a lot of people when it comes to the conversation about rest, is he's standing in front of this crew, the rule setters and the rule followers. And he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my teaching, learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. I think the thing that I would say is universal to everyone is the fatigue and the unsettledness and the unrest that many of us feel is not a surface one. It's not one that gets resolved from vacation uh, or from time off. Right. It's really this right. deep sense of 
fulfillment and contentment that we can't really find resolve in in our own pursuits. And that's where I think it relates to every person, because I think anyone who's listening might go, yeah, I kind of can resonate with that. Or, you know, there are parts of my life that I feel like are maybe deficient or need a little bit of filling. And and that's how I would say it kind of relates to everybody. I love this. This is like Mm -hmm. literally like with stars. I talk about three things, value, worth, and identity. Mm. And so, which you've summed up like really, really well. So I basically have a spiel every night that's almost word for word mm. what you just said <laughs> when cool. I go and play. And and we've got a really similar story in 2017. Was at a point in life where I was touring full time, saw my family 45 minutes a week, working at one of the largest churches in the country, burnout ministry, all for Jesus, but losing everything in the midst of it. Mm. Moved to Tennessee bought a house without seeing it, like moved across the country by ourselves, took six months off, kind of like your sabbatical thing and and reframed and kind of figured out what rest was. I, I wrestled with rest. Mm-hmm. I'm like a three Enneagram, which for anybody who doesn't know what that means is like, I find all of my value in mm. achieving. Nailing it. So uh, yeah, I just want, just want to kill it, you know? Mm-hmm. So stopping was really difficult for me. Also, and I wonder if you f- felt this, the other thing that, that hit me as a three really hard was how typical this is. So like your story and my story are really similar. And it's probably really, really similar to a lot of people out there where we've, even if you're not in ministry, you've sacrificed your life mm-hmm. on the altar of like achieving something. So I think, I think this, is, this is cool in a couple of ways. One, and I, I'd love to hear you kind of talk about this a little bit, the difference between like your identity and who God sees you as, and then your identity, it's like, who were you seeing yourself as Mm -hmm. in those moments? Because I know in those moments for me, it was less about, does God still love me? I didn't have those questions if I'm not doing these works. It was like, am I actually worthy as a human being if I'm Mm -hmm. not doing these things? And so that's where that's where I kind of came at it from that. So if I'm not on stage, if I'm not traveling, if I'm not achieving, if I'm not doing these things, aside from the whole God thing, like I'm just a worthless human being. And I, that's where my value and worth and identity were attached. So a lot of things I talk about is like attaching them in a healthy way to God. So I'd love to hear some of your thoughts there. And then I think the other the other thing I'm curious about is like, what does like soul rest look like for us now? And I know what that kind of looks like for me, but I'd love to hear what that is for you and, and kind of how you walk people through that. Yeah. Yeah. So the first question in a sense that he was asking was what, how did you see yourself? Mm-hmm. And when, when you're, you know, we talk about being a sober and drunk often, not on the wines, but just on fear or identity or on, you know, all these things. So when you're kind of drunk even now or then how do you see yourself how does that get you in trouble yeah so i i think just to kind of make sure there's a level of breadth as well you were talking about the distinction between like a ministry conversation versus everyone else i think another thing that's important is talking about the distinction between personality composition it's not just achievers mm-hmm. that feel this sense of right. burnout right. or mm-hmm. a pending burnout because i would even say my personality composition is not one of building, making, going, doing. I'm not one that has to achieve and thrive off of the recognition connected to that. I'm kind of more of the other way. I'm more of a, a, what are you doing? How can I help you do that? And, you know, kind of rather be behind the scenes kind of thing. But 
Really what it comes right. down to is the significance and the value we hold to God, our, our view of who God is and what we mean to him. <laughs> and I think so mm-hmm. often we interweave those personality traits and the way that they manifest out, lived out on earth here amongst other people, and we correlate yeah. them to God as well. So again, for me, if I'm not an achiever, maker, doer to show God what I can do or show people what I can do, yeah. I'm a helper. Right. So I'm going, how can I help people? Yeah. But I'm also going, God, am I doing enough to help you? <laughs> am I helping you here yeah. on earth do uh-huh. your thing? And again, you go down to each you know, different variant around personality composition and those things that are strengths about who you are, they can easily become this correlation around how do I do that relative to who you are, God? And then when I start to feel mm-hmm. deficient in that, or I feel like I need to overcompensate, things like that, I, I think that's where, like you said, Tim, there's the lack of sobriety around perspective. Maybe it's me in unhealth, uh, operating in a way where it feels like whatever my personality composition is, for my case, it was to help and to mm-hmm. hold value to people in a sense that I'm doing enough, mm-hmm. I'm doing more, I have something to offer, I, I have meaning and purpose to yeah. give. So therefore, uh-huh. uh, if I'm out of rhythm, then I feel like I'm never doing enough. I'm never helping enough. There's not enough of me to go around for people or for God. Mm -hmm. And so that's where for me, I think I started to see the unhealth and me being out of balance. And it was really Um, important to try to figure out what did it look like for me to be able to be still enough to understand that in my stillness, there was still the possibility that I could hold value to God. (laughs) And that's what's Mm -hmm. terrifying. And that's also what is interwoven with this whole idea of Sabbath. So that's a word, if you're in church, you probably have heard Uh before. If you don't go to church or read the Bible or whatever, it's this idea of ceasing or stopping. There's this rhythm every seven days, this idea that you're supposed to take a break. And what's interesting about the Sabbath, and you can talk about it in all different ways and representations, but for our purposes, I would say the Sabbath is a gift because in the Bible, it talks about for six days, you'll work. And on the seventh day, you don't work. So if we're not careful, we can think, oh, well, that's all the Sabbath is. It's like to get a break and it's a rule to follow. So God will be pleased with you or not be pleased with you if you don't do it. That's not what the Sabbath is. Mm-hmm. Sabbath is... You work for six days with your hands. It's a work that only you can do with your energy, your work, your purposes. On the seventh day, you do no work to remember the work that can only be done by the hand of God. And on that day, Hmm. we have to ask the question, is it enough? Is his working and my not working satisfying? Or is there something in me that's so itchy that just has to keep going, keep doing, keep building, keep working, that I can't even stop and trust that God is working while I am resting? So that is really, for me, I think, the the crux of that piece of it. And then I think moving into your second question, you know, one of the big mistakes that we make in life, in our culture, is we equate rest and laziness all the time. Mm. They're synonymous. Mm -hmm. So if you are, it doesn't matter if you're in a faith conversation, if you work in the business world, real estate, whatever, like rest, if you are stopping, that means you are lazy. You're not working. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you're not working is correlated with 
well, you don't want to work or you're lazy. So anytime yeah. the idea of rest feels like it's either necessary or presented to us, we have this natural yeah. aversion to it to go, well, I don't want to be lazy, so I need to keep going. Mm-hmm. I think another yeah. lie that we believe, and this is kind of connective to a bit of your story, is sometimes we start saying, well, I love what I do so much. I don't really need to take a break. Like, why would I ever need to stop mm-hmm. doing something that yeah. I really dig? And when you started talking about, well, what does it look like for us now? I was talking to a friend of mine. He's a long haul trucker. And so he drives 18 Uh wheelers. And uh, he was telling me about how so often when you see those trucks like in the ditch or whatever, or like this truck is flipped over and spilled all the stuff all over the highway. He said nine times out of 10, that driver just was exhausted. (laughs) He didn't get enough rest and he is not fit in that state to operate that vehicle. They have these strict regulations where you need to get enough rest in order to take these, you know, long haul rides. And he said there would be times where he was driving and he would be seeing hallucinations, like stuff popping out of the road or like, you know. And so basically when he was sharing that, it just clicked in my brain that we need to learn to work from rest. We need to learn how rest is not the absence of work, therefore meaning deficiency of our character and our ability. But no, it's from yeah. rest that we're able to sustain, be whole, to be healthy, to make sound decisions, right? Like think about that truck. Yeah. If you're so tired that it's equivalent to a DUI, I don't want you making big decisions with heavy machinery. And sadly, what I've found for so many people, especially people that I work with in ministry conversations, people who have had moral failures, made really terrible decisions in leadership positions, it's because they were tired and they were operating heavy machinery and they were making poor decisions. And so, yeah, I think moving forward, that's one of the things that helps you to learn how to find that rest moving ahead. Yeah. What does that look like day to day, like practically? Great question. Yeah. So I think one of the things that I always try to shy away from is uh, making a prescriptive set of things that you need to follow in order for Uh you to achieve that. Because um, just like you're asking now, that's always the first question that comes after I talk. Everybody's saying, man, that's so dope. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I see it in the Bible. It all sounds great. Can you give me a checklist? Just what do I need to do today? And and so what I always say is there are three words that I think are important when it comes to deciding what these rhythms look like on a daily basis. The first word is intentional. Like we need to show up for the thing that we're hoping to experience. Uh, That might seem like it's a foregone conclusion, but to be honest, there are a lot of people, especially in the faith conversation, who are going, man, I follow Jesus, but I still feel like I'm spinning my wheels and I don't feel like this meaning and purpose. I don't feel like I'm connecting with God. I don't really feel like I'm, you know, finding rest. And and I ask a simple question, well, what are you doing in order to try to find these things that you're hoping for? And they're like, well, nothing. (laughs) Like, I'm just hoping it comes. And so it might seem like a simplification, but... We need to be intentional. So if it's, you know, five minutes a day of leaving your phone behind and walking around your block, if it's five minutes a day of opening the scripture and reading some principles from Jesus, if it's five minutes a day of meditation and stilling your mind and your thoughts, if it's five minutes, whatever, whatever that thing is, we need to be intentional to say, I'm making space 
to receive the thing that I'm hoping for. The second word I would say is we need to approach it with a heart that it's substantial. Like we don't want to be flippant with it. We actually want to show up to the thing that we're trying to do. So for example, yeah, Yeah. like how many times, not only just priority in like practice, but priority and meaning. And what I mean by that is like, there've been times where I've said, you know what? I feel a little disconnected from God. I'm going to read the Bible every day for 30 days for 30 minutes. Right. And I was able to do it. I clicked the switch yeah. and I was, di- the problem is on the other side of that, the only thing I got from it was the ability to say, I read the Bible for 30 days. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But what yeah, I yeah. started to see was there's a difference when I'm intentional like that, but also I begin to show up to that thing saying, I believe I can meet God here. I believe that when uh-huh. I do this, there's no inherent spirituality in the act. It's who I meet when I'm doing the act. (laughs) And so I think that's what started to change for me. And so maybe it doesn't look like the the regimen being so rigid every single day around a certain amount of time. Uh, Maybe it requires for me to be able to bring my full self to say, it's only five minutes a day. It's only this one thing. And then the third word would be sustainable. What in your life Mm -hmm. can you see as a sustainable rhythm for the foreseeable future? Now, again, that might be, all right, I'm going to do five minutes, one day a week, bringing my full self to God and hoping that I can meet with him. Now, some people might go, oh, man, see, that's not enough. That's not even what is that going to do? Five minutes, one time a week, bringing your full self to which I would say, how many minutes a week are you intentionally showing up, opening right. your hands, trusting God to meet you in that space, unencumbered by yeah. anything else? And so that's why I say I don't, I try not to make it prescriptive for others. Yeah. For yeah. me, what that looks like is I try very diligently uh, before I get into the rhythm of my day to not mess with my phone in any way, whether it's text messages, yeah. emails. Miss phone calls. I don't have social media on my phone. So it's like even things that are very practical, very, (laughs) very practical, very necessary. I just try to build a rhythm that will allow me to make space intentionally for me to commune with God. Try to go outside, maybe take a deep breath, you know, (laughs) just give him the space to go. Today, I want to start with what you're filling me with rather than what everything else is filling me with, you know? And so that's just one small way. But I could talk about like different options all day. But I think those three words are the most important thing. Hmm. Do you find that community serves any aspect in any of this? Yeah, it serves complete and total reinforcement and encouragement and carrying forward for it to truly be healthy and sustainable. Like one of the things that I love the most is once I made this demonstrative like step toward wanting to find health and sustainability and rhythm, it's funny because my community, my friends, people who know me very well, people who are in proximity to my life had to adjust with me. So for example, when I say, Mm -hmm. I don't mess with my phone in the morning. Well, if you're trying to get in touch with me in the morning, you have to start learning that I'm not going to respond back in the morning. And so that's annoying at first and it's challenging for me, but it's a rhythm that's established. So what's funny about that, you know, little small thing, I think almost universally in my community, especially those who know me very well, it's funny how they are now 
almost adamant in their contending on my behalf for me to uphold these things that I want to be true. So like, you know, Tim was talking earlier about, you know, being around here in Franklin and having a chance to know some folks here and and make a lot of friendships and relationships. And there have been times where I've had someone say, hey, I was going to ask you to come and speak at our school or come and talk to our Bible study, but I asked so-and-so for your phone number, but they told me uh, he he probably won't want to do it because he doesn't want to be too busy in his schedule. And I'm like, well, I wish you would have called me, but, but I think what was really cool about that was community mm-hmm. began to contend on my yeah. behalf mm-hmm. for the sake of what this thing wow. is. And, and I think that that's something that we can all kind of have as an aspirational hope. Like, you're not alone yeah. on this journey. It feels very lonely. So like to your questions, yeah. yes. when you start like what you just, you know, kind of jokingly gave me the bravo on, like when you start saying things like, yeah, I'm not really going to rock with social media right now. It's like right. the first initial thought is, oh, you can't do that. Like you just can't, yeah. you can't mm-hmm. do that. Even your friends, like your yeah. people who love you. It's like, yep. oh, that's cool. But like, you can't do that. But right. you can. <laughs> and the, the yeah, thing is, right. like, you just have to be intentional. And, you know, yeah. that whole substantial thing, like, this is what I would say as an encouragement. If you hear anything else about the rhythms, sometimes if we want to see substantial change, we need to make a substantial investment. And I think yeah, right. a lot of times, sadly, what we want to see as results are inequitable with what we want to put in. So if I say say that another way, uh, so yeah, yeah, if I'm going, man, I want to see uh, more time in my day for deep breaths and not to feel anxiety connected to my phone and to, you know, whatever. Well, then maybe I need to deactivate my social media for 30 days. And on the surface, you're like, wait, that's a pretty extreme response. But what I'm asking to see happen is a pretty big deal too, <laughs> you know? Well, yeah. So one way yeah. I think about that, and this is, you know, a very sobering thing. So in a lot of different relationships, conversations, you know, I get to walk alongside couples who are going through hard seasons and things like that. And, you know, there are times where maybe I'll be talking with a husband who's made a mistake in his marriage and now they're looking for reconciliation as a couple. And maybe the wife graciously has said, you know what, I, I want to journey forward together to find that reconciliation. Um, and he is, you know, excited, you know, hopeful that maybe this can happen. But Sometimes what I sadly see too often is the hope for that reconciliation and for things to be better again is not equal to what types of substantial changes and investments that guy is willing to make in order to bring that sense of trust back to the table in order to show that things are different. Because it's kind of like, well, I want everything to go back. But I just kind of want to tweak little yeah. dials over here. Like, can mm-hmm. I, is there little things I can do? And I would just say yeah. sometimes yeah. there's a substantial investment that's necessary for substantial change. Yeah. Mm. For you and your story, I was going to ask you this before you brought up kind of that family dynamic. But it's, I was curious what your wife or what your kids would say is different about you on the other side of this like rest journey you've been on from who you were before. Yeah, I think it's a lot more yeses for them and not yeses for mm-hmm. performance or working, uh, again, in my case, in ministry for God. Yeah. Um, it's understanding that there is um, true value and substance in just being here, you know, <laughs> and just being with my, yeah. my crew. I mean, today's a perfect example. Um, you know, I have 
things that I need to do today. <laughs> there are a lot of ministry appointments that I have today, but my little yeah. man is not feeling well. And it doesn't mm-hmm. now destroy my day and affect who I am as a person feeling like everything has gotten in the way of what I was trying to do. No, this is what I'm supposed to do. And it's enough. And I think sometimes they in the past would probably be victim of me being subservient to an idea about what I needed to be doing for God. And they would sense that, you know, sadly, and this has happened so often, and I'm glad that For them at an early age, I was able to see that under the guise of being completely obedient to God and doing what God has called us to do, we sadly too often choose those things instead of our family. And I just Mm -hmm. want to say it as plainly Mm -hmm. as that. Like, we have all kinds of spiritual language to fluff that up and make it look nice. But it's like, at the end of the day, yes, there are things we need to do that are a priority. We can't always just kick it at home. I get that. But I need my kids, I need my wife to always feel like even when I can't be home, that what I'm doing, which is important, is not more important than they are. And I need to live in a way and embody a lifestyle that communicates that not just with my words, but with who I am. And I think Mm -hmm. that would be the thing prayerfully that if she were here, she would say or my kids would say um, they would see that's different. That's awesome. So you're like. Living from a place of soul rest is really living out of rest, not just taking a break, mm-hmm. not just taking time off or time away, but like living your life from a place of awareness, of from a place of insert all the words that we use yeah. all the time, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Soberness or being awake or all of these things, gratefulness, all those yeah. things I like can fit in there. Because I can see this like so many ways being like, a with God for God, which is what we mm-hmm. talk about all the time, but also like just for yourself. Yeah, and, and that's why I asked you the kind of leading family question there because I know what my answer is too, yeah. and, it, and it and it very much is the same as yours. It's like, okay, when life actually happens now, and you've got to zoom into something like this. Five years ago, for me, it would have run my day, right? Mm. And now it's like, well, I'm going to zoom and I'm going to be with my kids, and it's no big deal. So a place of soul rest is letting some of those things like, oh, it's it's no big deal. This this kind of thing where we can be sober in all of the moments and like our full selves in all of those moments as well, which does connect us, I think, more truly to God and, and what he's able to do through us and the community around us. So yeah. anyways. Mm-hmm. You talked about contentment earlier. Yeah. That word is has become a favorite word of mine in the past probably five years. What What is your understanding of the word contentment and how that works with rest? Yeah, so contentment is an interesting word, especially connective to what I would call a Christian subculture that I've been a part of for a long time because that word has certain connotations over time for different people. Yeah. So yeah. if yeah. I have this idea of contentment that is connective to a lifestyle that is filled with going, making, doing, building as my point of identity and meaning and purpose to God, then contentment will look different, I guess, relative to that. I would say what I've come to discover contentment is, is connective to this word shalom. You know, I went to Israel a couple of years ago 
And I was able to just ask all kinds of questions and just dig into these different thoughts and ideas that I'd heard a lot about over years and time. I'd studied about in the Bible and other books and things. But to be able to talk to people there on the ground was just really beautiful. And one of the things that I learned about Shalom is it's really not just a peace or a peace be with you, but it's a universal wholeness and flourishing. I feel like Mm -hmm. that definition of shalom is what I would call contentment. It's basically understanding that there is the opportunity for another word, which is delight. It's another word that's underutilized in regular conversation for us in America, but it's a very biblical term to be in a state of delight, which means that there is a satisfaction in your life apart from function, that there is an enoughness, if I will, (laughs) and I will, I just made that one up. There's an enoughness (laughs) in life where you have your cup full and there isn't this sense of perpetual longing and perpetual striving. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. that that satisfaction or that shalom or that delight comes from the connectedness to God that we're talking about. Like in in that Matthew 11 verse that I referenced earlier, there's a message version. This guy, Eugene Peterson, translated it. And he said, in the middle of that verse, Jesus is talking. He says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. (laughs) And I love that he kind of includes the work part. Like it's possible to be satisfied and to be restful even inside of our work. And that's really what we're talking about when it comes to contentment. It's not always working to achieve or working to make or working to accomplish. Even in the work, there is contentment. Like me just doing what I'm doing is possible for there to be fulfillment. And that requires for Mm -hmm. me to have different lenses around what is enoughness. If enoughness before Mm -hmm. for me was accomplishments, accolades, acknowledgments of my significance, or contentment was I've worked hard enough to get enough stuff in order to have more stuff, like that's contentment. But what if there's a different kind of contentment? Because, you know, to your point, Tim, I feel like contentment has to be available and true for every Christian person. And one of the things that I'm recognizing is the contentment I defined before wasn't available for some of my friends that I met when I went to Africa. Like they couldn't have, it's not even possible to kind of have the contentment that I was going for. Uh, When I went to Guatemala and I was talking with friends there, like they could never, literally never have the contentment that I have or I was going for. Uh, When I went to Haiti, same thing. So maybe my view of contentment isn't necessarily contentment. So yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is bringing me back to blessing. He said, like, uh, contentment is this wholeness, right? So the process of being made whole. And then, like, makes me think about the communal nature of all of it again. And it's so interesting how intertwined this is. And I love that you said that about, like, if it's not true for everyone everywhere, then it can't be true. So, uh, like, especially when when we're talking about our faith in those ways. I love that. And I think for me, too, that also opens it up to say, like, the people who aren't in ministry, who are doing work, you know, we've been talking a lot about like, we've sacrificed our lives on this altar of ministry. Um, and there's a lot of people who are just like going to work, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, getting through. 
And I think being able to find contentment, being able to find rest, being able to find um, like how to live in the soberness and the wholeness of that in just regular life is huge for people. Yeah. And even contentment in the midst of crap. That's it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that's that it's that that's, that seems to be the trick. And as you're talking about, it's gotta be, you know, it's gotta work for the people in Africa who have nothing. Um, I mean, what's it look like really to find contentment and rest in those places? And I think that that's what you're pointing at. And so I think for people that are in the midst of a really hard situation right now, how does this work out? Yeah, I think one of the most important things that we have as a gift in the scriptures is uh, the picture of lament. And I think it's one of the most underutilized ideas in the American church. Um, We are people who long for and fight tooth and nail for resolve all the time. (laughs) We always want there to be like, the bow, but it's okay. Or like, I get all that's hard, but don't worry because at the end of the day, like, and I think lament, uh, which we see in the Bible over and over again, is not something that always has resolve. It's basically a passionate Mm -hmm. expression of grief or sorrow in the midst of suffering and saying directly to God, God, Uh, This is my full self. This is everything I'm feeling right now. I'm holding nothing back. Mm -hmm. And all I'm saying is, unless you show up to change this, it's not going to change. No happy ending, no walk on the beach with toward the sunset, no credits roll and happy. No, sometimes it's like that's the end. And we have to be able to know that it's possible to bring that fullness of self before God in the midst of what is hard and trust that unless he does something, then things won't change. Too often, I think we try to fight to resolve problems for other people, Mm -hmm. or we try to uh, fake resolve in our own lives in order to try to almost summon up this idea Uh, One of the things that I think is so broken in our view of what we should be like in the midst of suffering is a misunderstanding of a verse in the book of James. It says, uh, James chapter one, verse two, count it all joy when facing trials Mm -hmm. of many kinds or various kinds. And one of the things that we wrongly do so often is we take that idea, count it joy when facing trials. And what we try to do is tell people, hey, You need to be happy while you're hurting. And if you're not happy while you're hurting, there's something wrong with your relationship with God. So you need to go get your relationship with God right. Come back. You need to be able to smile through it and mean it when Mm -hmm. things are really hard. No, (laughs) that is not true (laughs) at all. Well, the rest of the verse, because the developing of your... Or the, Come on. Well, the testing Preach. of your faith develops perseverance, right? And it so, keeps going. It like, says it develops have, perseverance. And perseverance, yeah. Creates steadfastness. And it says that our suffering makes us complete, lacking nothing. So here's why right. he says, count it joy while facing trials. He's not saying be happy while you're hurting. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. you will be sad and you should be sad while you're hurting. Right. Mm-hmm. But joyfulness, which is not circumstantial, is something that I can hold to, to say, even in ways that I can't see right now, I don't understand right now. And quite frankly, I don't want even anybody to talk to me about right now. 
God is working, and I will see on the other side of this that it has made me a more complete person that I could not be without the suffering. That's why, for example, when somebody would say to me in the midst of my wife recovering from a very physical miscarriage, um, well, God's going to use what you're doing right now for to help yeah. other people who go through this. I just wanted to shove them in the bushes, <laughs> right? Like right, yeah. there is yeah. nothing. That is so kind. That, that is a really appropriate way to say that. I, I've, I've stronger words. Shove them in the bushes. Yeah, that's, so to shove them in the bushes zero. because yeah. Yeah. though they are correct, which I came to realize maybe two years later, that is not what right, I needed uh, to hear right now. So what right. what uh, we are seeing in James is this idea of reminding the person. Maybe right now, not in the circumstance, going, hey, Mm -hmm. just remember, God's working in ways that you can't see. Some of you need to hear that right now, and you're mad at me because I'm saying it. Some of you need to hear it right now because the suffering is coming. And some of you need to hear it Mm -hmm. to remember, oh, yeah, you're right. I did think that that was never going to end. I did think Mm -hmm. God was against me. I did think that there was no way out. And yeah, look at this. So I think that's an important piece, too, when it comes to the suffering thing, because you know, uh, Mike, the, the great theologian, Mike Tyson, <laughs> once said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I love that. And so, so I think it's important for us to know uh, we will all be derailed by suffering. Yeah. And mm-hmm. one of the most uh, challenging things to even approach to someone in the midst of suffering is to even allude to the idea that suffering can be good in any way. Now, that's why it's important for us to have a broader perspective to go. Like, there's a book in the Bible called Lamentations. Whole thing is filled with we, we, grief we don't and wanna, sorrow. We don't, we, we, we don't, we don't believe that, that was actually <laughs> supposed to be in the Bible, but that's fine. That's fine. I think it gives, like, it gives you permission, right? That's right. It's like, that's okay, it hey. It's okay. And this is supposed to have, we just did a thing on grief a few weeks ago. Mm. And it's like, hey, this is like, it's actually biblical. Like sit in it. It's fine. Like, Mm -hmm. um, and there's a faith aspect. Like for Mm -hmm. me in those moments, it's like, okay. But just like what you said, God has gotten me through these. He can do it again. He's with me now. Mm -hmm. It's okay to sit through this. And it's Uh, even, it's, it's possible to, not believe that right now. <laughs> like, that's what yes. I want people yeah. to hear, too, is like, mm. you know, uh-huh. there are t- like I think about like Psalm 13, you know, how long, oh, Lord, will you hide your face from me forever? How long will my enemy triumph mm-hmm. over me? Consider and answer me lest I sleep the sleep of death. I mean, like, he's not real hopeful right now. <laughs> and then yeah. even at yeah. the right. end of that psalm, he says, uh, you know, uh, I'll continue to remember you and I'll sing your praises because you dealt bountifully with me. Now, if I read that real quick, it's like, oh, see, man, here it is. He's real sad in the beginning. And at the end, it's a happy ending because he's <laughs> great singing CCM anyway. Song. No, 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 no. It's great. <laughs> Be not confused. What he's saying is, I'm only singing because in the past, you did do some good stuff. I'll give you that one. I just don't believe you're going to yeah. do it again. End of the yeah. song. Yeah. There we go. And I think we need to, as people of faith or people who aren't on the journey of faith are going, you know, 
you don't even feel for real. Like, you know, this whole Christian thing yeah. feels like it insulates you from all of the difficulties and pain. That's why I think yeah. everyone needs to hear it is possible, even as a follower of Jesus, to be in a place of suffering yeah. such that right now, I'm not really sure who God is, what he's like, and what yeah. he can or will do about my situation. Yeah. That does not... It's not just possible. Yeah. It's biblical. Of course. Of course. It's in there yes. a lot. Mm-hmm. And and we've overlooked it for the Jesus bumper stickers. We just want resolve, yeah. baby. I love it. We want resolve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So, so finding rest is like being okay with being in those moments in some ways too. That's right. I think one of the biggest gifts that I got in the midst of the deepest and darkest season when I was asking so many questions is somebody looked me in the eyes and said, hey, it's okay to not be okay. And mm-hmm. I had probably said that to somebody before. I probably right, heard yeah, right. it. Yeah. But it was just like <laughs> this click in my brain snapped into place because I was like, if can I believe that that's true? Because I feel like yeah. everything in my life really needs to be situated and centered on God is good mm-hmm. and he's working and I'm doing good stuff for him. And, it's, and if I'm not in that place, then I can't be of any worth right. and value to God. So when they said that to me, right. it was really helpful. But the thing that I follow that up with is I'm glad somebody said that to me. But I also wish somebody would have said to me, hey, it's okay to not be okay. And whether you believe it or not right now, there's a living hope in Jesus. And it's okay if you don't believe it right now, but I just need you to know it. (laughs) And I think that's the thing that we provide as a gift as people who follow the way of Jesus. Not to be flippant with other people's suffering, not to act like you should be happy while you're hurting, but just go, hey, I want you to know what you're feeling right now. It's okay for you to feel that. Bring your full self to that. Mm -hmm. Express that feeling to God. But also know if ever you want to chop it up, if you ever want to talk about it, there's a hope in Jesus. I just want to throw that out there too. And you may want to just swipe that away, but I need you to know that I'm believing that with you, for you. And that yeah. that's the, the, the piece where I think we can live in the tension together inside of that. A part of it makes me think like if we're living out of rest— and we're representing Jesus in a way through our lives, and we're showing them the hope of Jesus by just that's being right. with them that's right. and, and meeting them in those moments. And sometimes that's the best thing that we can do. I think the way you just said that word is really important, re-presenting. <laughs> like if we say representing real Timmons quick, word right it's kind of like, you know, that's I'm team Jesus, whatever I said. But like if we really focus in on what that word means, that really affects who we as follower of Jesus should be to the world, a representation of the way of Jesus, which doesn't make it a flippant kind of word that we just throw out there, but it's an almost sobering kind of idea to go is who I am and what I embody presenting to others, a picture of Jesus. And so often For me, the answer is no. But then the question becomes, well, what does it look like for me uh, to understand the identifying barriers that might be keeping me from the intimacy that I need to live from that place of connectedness to him? Uh, Where am I manufacturing masks and and putting on uh, different types of uh, costumes as I present myself to the world that's keeping that barrier? You know, 
And it, it helps to bring that kind of rest because now I'm not striving and straining even in my presentation as a Christian person. In a sense, if if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of us, I mean, that that's what makes us representers is we're, it's like, I'm not just representing, it's like who I am. I actually have Jesus in and through. That's a, that's just such a wild thought. It is that's wild. A whole different <laughs> it's <topic>. wild, baby. <laughs> we'll jump well, that and, and I feel like to represent him well, then we have to be living from a place of rest. Like, did we just sum up our whole podcast series <laughs> <Yeah>. today? <laughs> that's it, man. That's one talk. You nailed it. <laughs> I think we did. CZ, thank you so much. Man, it is so cool to be with you guys. I dig it. It's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> How do people find your books and all that stuff? I know that always always feels so sleazy and stupid, but I, you, you've got stuff that would be really helpful for people. And so how could people be encouraged by the things that you're learning and walking through? Yeah, so book-wise, the easiest way, honestly, is Amazon from a cost standpoint. Um, they usually sell it for pretty inexpensive on there. You can get it at local bookstores. I love to support local bookstores, so you can order it through them as well. Uh, one book is called Soul Thrift Rest. stores. Are there any th- uh, yeah, thrift stores? Uh, yeah. There's probably a 99-cent <laughs> like copy we're thinking secondhand. <laughs> at a secondhand yeah, yeah. store somewhere. So you can go go there first. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Sorry, okay, book title, go. <laughs> no, but yeah, the, any of the way, places where you buy books, you can find books there. One's called Soul Rest. Uh, the devotional, like you said, is called Finding Soul Rest. There's an audible version of it. I know some people like to listen to books. You can Ooh, Is it your that. voice? Uh, it is my voice. It was one of the hardest creative oh, things I've ever had to do in my life because it's just oh a lot no, no. of talking for a long time. But uh, but it's cool. And then uh, I have a website called findrest.org. And really what I'm hoping to do uh, with the rest of my life is to come alongside people in all different vocational and life spaces uh, who are living in the tension of trying to understand what it looks like to live from rest. So uh, there's going to be some different resources there that I hope to offer for free and things like that. And then also just to try to make myself available in conversation, you know, coming and talking to uh, staff teams and businesses and also, you know, churches and stuff, just to be able to hopefully get these ideas uh, permeating through our conversation. And then uh, the last free thing that's really easy is... Um, uh, the version app on uh, a lot of smartphones, uh, there are these reading plans, and I have one called mm-hmm. Soul Rest on there, and it's a seven-day cool. reading cool. plan that kind of gives you the ideas uh, really quickly there. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Probably read it. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't I didn't know. like it. I thought it was terrible, <laughs> but I, I felt like... That's fair. No, CZ, <laughs> so good, man. So helpful. Yep. Once yes, again, I hope it was helpful for you too. I'm really hoping this. Was I, really... I I made some notes for my wife. Yeah. This is gonna be great. It's a lot of deferring. Wow. I love it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It hit me right in the heart, CZ. Okay, come on. She's our only voice of reason and honesty. So good. <laughs> be good. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna hit you with some uh, some questions, and this is speed round. So please um, just go to the first thing that pops in your mind. Okay. Okay, I'm ready. The '80s. Wait, hold on. I couldn't hear it. <laughs> Say it again. That is that is the best <laughs> trick we've heard. No, I promise. Yet. I promise. But I, I didn't Zoom. understand you. All I heard yeah. was, jeez. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if that's what you said. That's what I said. But uh, yeah. I said, jeez. Yeah. No, I said 80s. 80s? Uh, music. <laughs> is there nice. anything specific? Uh, I didn't know how quick I was supposed to go. So you got to give me some more rules. <laughs> <I just said. laughs> What's your favorite 80s music? Like, what's the first thing that comes in your mind, 80s music? Uh, 
Cheesy. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm, so I'm no taking favorites. both. Of those. Okay, yeah. got yeah, it. Yeah. Okay, when when I dance, I look like uh, a robot. <laughs> really? Can you do the robot? Oh yeah, man. Who you know? Come on. Oh, uh, no. What's up, no, man. I got rhythm, but I can't dance. It's kind of a weird combo. <laughs> Do you ever think about taking like classes? Never. My wife would wife? like me to, and I like to hang out with her. Okay. So therefore, yeah. if we deduce the uh, idea, yes, I would take yeah. classes. <laughs> well, once again, we've got her. Uh, Here she comes. On this Welcome. As well. All yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> She's really excited. That's that was the thing she said. Would you get him to do some dance stuff? So everything we're asking about uh, about dancing. Um, okay, give me your three favorite movies. Uh, Tombstone. Uh, Strong. <laughs> this is gonna be a funny one. You've got mail. <laughs> it's one of my right. yeah, that's a great one. one. Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks, and then yes. Dumb and Dumber is just ever <laughs> present. The Brett. Everybody's <laughs> yeah. got yeah. Brett. Yeah. I like it. Yes. Yeah. That says a lot about you. You've got <laughs> mail. You see the diversity there? I just want you to understand. Yeah. yeah. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm into it. Uh, do you know any jokes? Uh, let me. No, I'm not great at jokes. My son is a yeah, great. I know. Uh, joke. Tell her, so let me think of one of his. Okay. Um, uh, why did the bird go Bring to the in. doctor? Oof. To get to the other side. I don't know. Because he needed some tweetment. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. My, my son if he is was seven. feeling better, my I'd ask you seven. to bring him in. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a strong, strong dip right there. That's too good. All of my kids' jokes end with poop. That's it. I just think it's funny. I'm like, guys, that's it. No. Nope. Read the room. That's funny. It always yeah. hits though. It does for them. I'm laughing over here. Read the room. That that's a it's, they're oh, I tell my it. kids to read the room all the time. I'm like, guys, come on, know your audience. <laughs> I know you're four. Oh my goodness. I love it. Okay, pet peeves. Um, let's say biting nails. Ooh. Do you clip yours? Clip mine. Oh. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I used to bite Sorry, my I nails. Heard, I... So I, it's more of a pet peeve for myself. It's like, I don't like that I did that for a long time. And so uh, uh, I had to really. Do you have chew focus. things? Like if you hear people chew, does that drive you no, crazy? It's no, or... it's not even really an assessment of others as much as it's just like. I get peeved on my own. Just, I think, for multiple reasons. One, just the whole thing is just not awesome. But then two, especially in the age of COVID, (laughs) I think about now where germs reside way more than I did 18 months ago. And one place that I feel like you would catch a lot of stuff would be underneath your fingernails. And so biting your fingernails is probably like a main lining of COVID potential. <laughs> or, you know, or it's, you know, setting you up, gives you like some antibodies. Some Dwight you know? Schrute. Yeah, yeah. You, that's Dwight Schrute <laughs> logic right there. Totally. So. <laughs> okay, the- bucket list. Bucket list. Uh, travel the world with the family. Hang out with Tim Timmons when, for when, coffee. And, obviously done. Uh, probably. I mean, I'd like to go to the Grand Canyon. I know it's like really big down to smaller, but I think the Grand Canyon would be just a cool experience. I think you could do a dance class at the bottom of the Grand Canyon with your wife. Well, no, how about this? Yeah. We go to the Grand Canyon and you and I have coffee there. This is feeling so right. (laughs) And then right after that, we load up the family and then start our journey from there for the rest of the world. Lord, I lift your name on Come on, come on, come on. 
<laughs> okay. Um, uh, hobby. Do you have a hobby? Running. It's not a hobby. Slash reading. <laughs> Torture. <laughs> okay. My last one is what's your favorite word that you've ever made up? Uh, what was the one I made up earlier today? <laughs> Enoughness. Enoughness. That was a pretty yeah. strong one. <laughs> Yeah. It's better than Blout. 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 I hate myself. So good. Well, if oh you just blout, blout something out, you know what? Maybe that's a real word. Just you blout guys. it out. Maybe you're just it giving me crap for something good. that's legit. Go for it. Eh, no. <laughs> CZ, thank you so much. Thanks. So dude. much fun. You're awesome, dude. Let me do it again. Bring super, me back. Super helpful. We would love Come it. On, baby. Yeah. We'd love it. That's super helpful for, for humans So and for us. So mm. thank you. All right. Really great. Cheers. Okay, so if you made it this far, you are a true friend of God and a true friend of ours. That's probably not theologically correct, but it feels really right. You know what I mean? Um, so thank you for sticking with us. So if you did get this far and you want to let us know that you got this far, you can go to our Instagram page, 10,000 Minutes X, or our Facebook page, or to mine, or to Chris's, and just tell us if you are a dog fan or a cat fan. Um, that would be great. Just say, you know, dog, cat, whatever you are. That would be great. And please, would you like this actual episode or subscribe to it or comment on it or share it? That would be so helpful for us. Thanks, you guys. Till next week. Rest well. <laughs>